We commence today's show talking about the current state of our politics with the co-founder and co-chair of the state's United Democracy Center and the former governor of New Jersey, Christine Todd Whitman. She also served as administrator of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, in the cabinet of President George W. Bush, and she is author of the New York Times bestselling book, It's My Party Too. I could add to that introduction that once upon a time, Christy Whitman, Tim Russert, the iconic host of NBC's Meet the Press, uh, and yours truly, she's laughing already. Uh, so Christy Whitman, Tim Russert, and yours truly competed on an episode of Celebrity Jeopardy back when the legendary Alex Trebek was still hosting the program. Just don't ask me who won that episode. Don't ask me who won. <laughs> but I am pleased to welcome uh, Governor Christine Todd Whitman to this program. Governor, how are you today? I'm very good, Charles. I must say, I was never been more nervous in my life than before that thing. <laughs> well, that, 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 that makes two of us. I don't know about you, but I could not figure out how to make that buzzer work. That buzzer just I know, it, it kept was, jamming on me. That it felt was the like. key. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Tim came out the blocks. I will tell you this. Tim Russell, the late, great Tim Russell, came out the blocks pretty quickly, figuring that buzzer thing out. But once you figure out the buzzer thing and your nerves settle, Jeopardy's not such a bad thing to do. I had a great time, right. uh, as did Governor Whitman, I'm sure. I know Tim Russell did, and each of us raised some money for our various charities. It was a lot of fun that night on uh, on Jeopardy. And as I look back on it now, of course, we've lost uh, Tim Russell. Nobody did it better than Tim. Uh, whether you're Republican no, or Democrat, you true. have to acknowledge he was the best at those Sunday morning programs. Tim Russell is gone. Of course, uh, Alex Trebek, of course, is now gone. So as I get older, or as I say, more chronologically gifted, I look back on these moments, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful for so many opportunities I've had. And that was a great moment in my life to be hanging out with you and Tim on the set of uh, Celebrity Jeopardy with uh, Alex Trebek. What a great moment. Uh, thank you for that this time. Fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'm glad we got an hour. A lot to unpack in this hour. Let me just let me just start with this. You wrote this book, It's My Party Too. What year was that? You recall? 2005. 2005. I would not have that title now. <laughs> that, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly where I'm going. So the book the book was is called It's My Party Two T Double O. Um, how might that book be different today? If that was 2005, looking at your party today, what might the title be? It's not my party anymore. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's not. It's it's so totally changed from something that had some principles in which I believed to something that has become a cult around one figure. Um, it's just not recognizable to me. Mm. Just getting started. Uh, that's, that's a great opening line. Uh, I want to interrogate that and a great deal more. I'm glad I have the governor for the hour. Uh, again, former governor of New Jersey. Speaking of New Jersey, there are a couple other people from New Jersey who we know nationally. I want to get her take on. Christy uh, Whitman uh, hopefully will, will, will feel comfortable commenting on another New Jersey governor, former governor. Uh, you know I'm talking about. Uh, he's in the race for the presidency right now on the Republican ticket, uh, Chris Christie. And, of course, uh, Bob Menendez, senator from New Jersey, is in some trouble. So one Republican, one Democrat. We'll ask you about both of them. But I, I'm not done interrogating yet this notion that this is no longer her party. We'll talk about that and a great deal more. And of course, we'll get into the work that she's doing at States United Democracy Center. And there's a question for starters right there. Are we States United? Um, what is the state of our democracy? A lot to interrogate. Glad I've got it for the hour. You're listening to Christine Todd Whitman, former governor of New Jersey, right now on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! 
Sounds different. Huh. This, this is Tavis Smiley. This is Tavis Smiley in conversation with the former governor of New Jersey, the former head of the EPA, Christine Todd Whitman, who I'm honored to have on this program today in our first hour. So, Governor, let me jump right in. Um, you said it. Let me follow up. What happened to your party? Well, it happened over time. And actually, I link it back really uh, to uh, when they separated the incoming freshmen in Congress. It used to be Republicans and Democrats would all get their briefings together. They'd, they'd get oriented together. Mm-hmm. And they got to know one another. And then all of a sudden, the decision was made to separate them. Nope, Republicans are going to go off on their own. And that started the break. And then it was all Newt Gingrich. It was when he was uh, head down there. And he, when he was the leader in the House, the mm-hmm. Speaker. And then he also said, and everybody, every congressperson should go home on the weekends, which meant that you didn't have the same opportunity that you'd had in the past to get to know your fellow congresspeople. And, you know, it's pretty hard to hate somebody you're sitting next to when you're cheering on your kids at a baseball game or a a football game. Mm -hmm. You get to know them as people. But we lost that. And so it's become, everything's become ever more partisan. And you know, Travis, you may not believe this. I find it every time I say it, I find it hard to accept. There are 500,000 elective offices across the country, mm-hmm. all levels. In any given year, 70 percent of those are uncontested. The voters only have one choice. There are no two people on the ballot. And of those five to 10 percent are never those offices are never filled. And that's just wrong. And what happened was people turnout on primary elections was about 10 percent. People got lazy. We got lazy. And we thought, well, it doesn't really matter. And then when it's only 10 percent of the eligible voters who are making those choices, they're the most partisan. They tend to be more on the extremes. And you get to the general election, people say, no, I don't like any of my choices. So I'm not going to bother to vote. Mm-hmm. So the average voter turnout until recently in Congress was 34 percent. And we think we've done a bang up job for president at 55, 56 percent. And we we let it happen to ourselves, and we've got to take it back because our democracy is in danger. Those numbers are worth interrogating. Trust me, I've got three or four questions I want to ask about those numbers. I'll I'll, I'll put a pin in that for the moment. I'll get to those numbers, though, because, again, there's there's a lot there that I want to give you a chance to unpack. But let me but since since we're talking about Congress, uh, you're talking about Congress. Give me your give me your view, your read of the current Congress under Mike Johnson. Dysfunctional Mm. in a word. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, we spend our time looking to who we can. They they spend their time looking at who they can investigate next, rather than dealing with the problems. I mean, we've got a huge budget problem. We've got four major enemies that are nuclear powered. Watching all this that's going on, we have two hot wars, and Congress can't get its act together. I mean, they're still not giving the military the support they need. They're not looking at domestic issues. I mean, we have huge issues at home in this country on inequality of of education, of housing, of food deserts in our cities. I mean, there is so much that needs to be done, and yet Congress can't seem to get its act together to do anything on these issues. Since we're talking about your party, uh, again, your book back in 2005 was called It's My Party Too, and now you said the title would be It's Not My Party Anymore. Uh, how did you, I didn't get a chance to talk to you during this time frame, of course, how did you process, my word, not yours, the circus that was trying to figure out the speaker? The first first circus was uh, 
uh, was Kevin McCarthy. That was what the, what those thirty thousand votes it took to get him finally across the finish line. Yeah, exactly. uh, and then and then the circus came back to town, uh, and uh, we ended up ultimately with Mike Johnson. But as it relates to the image that it put forth of to your to your word dysfunction, as it relates to the image that it put forth of your party. What did you, how did you read that particular process, that moment? Well, your word, it was a circus. Mm -hmm. And it showed that there was no real leadership, no cohesion within the Republican ranks. I mean, the Democrats are starting to splinter a bit, but they aren't as far gone as the Republicans yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Republicans are showing that they can't lead. They can't lead because they can't get their act together. They can't decide what it is they, they want to do. It used to be Republicans cared about balanced budgets. Well, that went out the window a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to be a, a party that believed in international engagement and understood the importance of the United States to the world. But we don't do that anymore either. I mean, it's a, it, I don't know what it is other than a cult. And I take that back to 2016 at the Republican National Convention when they didn't even develop a platform. Um, they said it was, excuse, excuse me, it was 2020. Mm-hmm. They didn't do a platform. So it was, it, they, you didn't know what they stood for. They stood for whatever Donald Trump told them they stood for at that particular moment. Yeah. Um, I got some Donald Trump questions as well. So we get to that as well in this hour. You see why I need an hour to talk to you? Uh, so much to cover. And I need, I need time. Yeah, there's uh, a lot. It, there, there is a lot. lot. There is a lot. Let me, let me come now um, to a question that I want to pose about, about our democracy. It seems to me, it seems to me that in any democracy, ours or any other in uh, on the globe, you have to, at the very least, have a strong two-party system. At a minimum, you have to have a strong right. two-party system. We'll come, we'll come in a moment to whether or not there's room for a third party in this country and what you make of that. Um, but it seems to me that, for starters, uh, uh, for a democracy, you have to have at least <clears throat> a two-strong party system. What happens, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens in the years to come if this party, uh, whether I like its policies or not, what happens in the future, as you see it, if we don't stabilize, if they don't stabilize this party, if they don't get their act together and we continue uh, headed down the rabbit hole that we are now, what happens to our democracy if the two-party system doesn't work? Does that make sense as a question? Yeah, uh, no, it does make sense. Our democracy is very fragile mm-hmm. and it's right at the edge now. I mean, we are in danger of losing our democracy, and I will tell you it. If Donald Trump gets reelected, believe what he's saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is telling everybody he's going to do away with the Constitution. He's going to weaponize, talk about weaponizing something. He's going to weaponize the Justice Department to go after people who've criticized it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's a scary, scary prospect. It's something that I believe we have got to wake up to and we've got to pay attention to. And people who say, oh, he's really not that bad or he's not going to do it. He is. Mm-hmm. He will. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that really scares me. Why, why do you think um, your fellow Republicans, even those running, of course, against him, they say this, they say that. We'll talk, we'll talk about Chris Christie in a moment here. But what do you make of the fact that your fellow Republicans still appear to be terribly afraid of him? It's one thing for others who he is targeted to be afraid of him. But why are Republicans, even those running against him, still so afraid of him? because of what he can muster and his supporters. I mean, these are people we saw on January 6th who were willing to take the law into their own hands and were willing to act out violently. 
And that's what people are afraid of. They're afraid and they're afraid also of the power of his people who come out and vote. They do vote. They are focused and they will defeat candidates. That's what's happened. You look at the the average um, return rate of Congress is 98 percent because the districts are so uh, have been so gerrymandered. Mm -hmm. It's 98 percent. And yet when there were 10 Congress people who voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump, and only two of them made it back to Congress, and that was from Washington. They were from Washington State, where they have a kind of a different system. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it's clear that this is what will happen to you. So if all you care about is keeping this job, because this is how you define yourself, and you like whatever perks come with it, um, then you're not going to do anything to upset that, that group, because they will come after you, and they will unseat you. Yeah. As you know, um, politics is, is cyclical, and as you also know, having been in it for so long, um, today's story uh, changes uh, in 24 hours, and tomorrow it's somebody else. Today it's you, tomorrow it's somebody else. That that that, mm -hmm. that somebody else today who's getting all the headlines is Nikki Haley. Uh, right. And at one point, there were many who thought that she'd never break out of the pack, and I'm, I'm still not suggesting that she's broken out of the pack. It's clear to me that there are two people who are essentially running for second place. That's Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. But certainly of late, She's been getting all the ink. She's been getting all the press. The mainstream media has focused of late on Nikki Haley. Um, she's gotten some major endorsements. You saw yesterday the Koch mm -hmm. brothers, their organization has come out right. behind her. And the Koch brothers have a whole lot of money. Uh, and oh, yeah. uh, and so they've come out now behind her. So it appears that Nikki Haley is starting to get some traction. Obviously, she's a woman. Um, what, what, what do you make of Nikki Haley at the moment? Well, she's, she is breaking out. And she is the one of all of those who are stand a chance to be second, because <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's going to beat Trump. Um, she, to me, is the most sensible. I don't agree with her on a number of policy positions, but mm -hmm. as far as someone who would protect our democracy, uh, I believe she would. And I think she'd be a much more sensible. Certainly about anybody's better than Donald Trump yeah. uh, on the Republican side, I will say that, but um, almost anybody. Yeah. She is she is more toward the center than, than the rest of them, really. Would the other former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, be better than Donald Trump? Yes, he would be, mm -hmm. without question. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's going to break out either. And the Koch endorsement for Nikki Haley means a lot in terms of money. I don't think the average person knows or appreciates what the Koch brothers can do in an election cycle, but uh, they certainly give her a lot of momentum and they'll unleash a lot of money for her. But I still don't think you can't underestimate the passion of an acolyte when you have a, a movement like Trump's movement. I mean, mm -hmm. they are, it's, it's Jim Jones all over again. They, they drink the Kool-Aid if, if Donald Trump told them to. Yeah. Why, why, why do you think, um, Chris Christie uh, has not broken out. And I asked I asked that because I'm not necessarily necessarily a fan of Chris Christie. But as politics goes, he's a pretty good retail politician. You don't become governor of New Jersey a couple of times, as you well know, without being relatively good at that. So he he, he knows <clears throat> he knows retail politics. He's good on television in terms of interviews. He knows how to get his point across. Former federal prosecutor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, for all of that, he has not been able to break out. Why do you think that is? I think it has to do with the fact that right now his main focus has been just attack Trump. And he hasn't been as strong as I think he could be or should be on the issues, what he'd do differently. But then again, people aren't listening for that. They seem to what they what people seem to like today, the average voter, is the personality rather than the policy. 
Mm-hmm. If they cared about policy, we wouldn't have the people we have in Congress. But 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 he is a personality. That's my point. No, he's a personality, but he's he's his personality is too close to Trump's mm-hmm. um, to be enough of a difference. Even though he's attacking him now, yeah. he attacks him in the same way that Donald Trump attacks people. Right, right, right. I get and it. So it's not not enough of a difference. Yeah, if you're trying to be Trump Junior, they don't need that, right? They've already they've already got Trump right. Senior. So I no. take I take your point. I take your point. So let me let me circle back now to this this question about independent party. So we we established earlier, you and I agree on this. I think, given what you said, that in a democracy, and I call this an experiment in democracy, we ain't quite perfected it yet. We're still working on it. No, no. Um, but um, you you have to have at least a strong two party system uh, for for mm-hmm. uh, you know. But for years now. We've been talking about, others have tried, of course, uh, to launch a credible, stable third party. That's happened on the right. Uh, It's happened on the left. And yet nothing has really stuck. At this moment in time, Joe Biden is facing uh, a number of persons uh, running against him. uh, Cornel West, uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy. So there are a couple of independents running against him. Uh, We're still waiting to see, although I'm personally not waiting, but we shall see whether or not Joe Manchin uh, becomes the candidate now that he said he's not running for re-election to the Senate from West Virginia. Thank God for Jesus. I'm happy about that, all the stuff he's <laughs> held up in the United States Senate. But he, he's, he's toying, as you know, with whether he's going to be uh, the candidate for the so-called no-labels party. I've said many times, any party that calls itself no-labels bothers me. you got to stand for something. You say no-labels, then I'm troubled by that. But I, I, I take the spin that they're, that they're using. That's, that's, that's a long way of asking whether or not you think now is the time or there will ever be a time where in the interest of preserving and protecting this fragile democracy you, you mentioned a moment ago, we will find our way to a third, maybe even fourth party in this country. Well, thanks for the question, Travis, because as I'm sure you know, Andrew Yang and I are the co-chairs uh, with a fellow called Michael Wilner of the Forward Party. That's right. It's a new, it's a new party. It's based on protecting our democracy. And it starts, we, we're focused on the grassroots level. We're not playing at the presidential. Save to be a party that will bring to the polls people who might not have voted otherwise because they didn't like their choices at the top. And we do that by nominating candidates to run who are the kind of candidates who will stand up to protect our democracy, who will sign a pledge to say that they will work with anyone to solve problems that they will uphold the Constitution, respect the rule of law, work to open the process so that more people have the ability to vote uh, and have, who have the right to vote, give them the ability to vote. Because uh, what we see is that's being, that's being taken away from people right and left. And what we're doing is we're, we'll support right now Republicans, Democrats, independents, as long as they will sign the pledge, as long as they commit to being forward members. We're on the ballot as a part, recognized party in, in Utah, in Florida, in uh, Maine, in South Carolina, in a, we're about seven states mm-hmm. now. And we ran candidates in the last election, won several, won a bunch of them. Uh, we want to run 400 or so, 200 to 400 in 2024 at the local level. That means the mayors, the, mm-hmm. the school, school boards, your library commissions, we know how, how, how important those are these days. Sure. Um, 
we want to build a, a party that can stand the test of time and will be there because I've always been a big proponent of the two-party system. I thought that works well for our country. It's so big and diverse that too many parties would make it really impossible to govern. Mm-hmm. But I've become convinced that unless the two parties are held accountable for their behavior through a third party that's there to offer a real choice to people, they'll keep on doing what they're doing, which is their fo- mm-hmm. sole focus is not solving the people's problems. It's keeping themselves in power. That is a bold statement from a former uh, governor of a major state in this country, New Jersey, and a Republican uh, governor, no less, for her to suggest that she is now convinced that we have to have a third party at a minimum to hold these two parties, Republicans and Democrats, accountable. Bold statement from a former Republican governor. I want to interrogate that a bit more when we come forward. I want to, uh, we talked about Chris Christie from New Jersey. I want to talk about Bob Menendez from New Jersey. Here's the Democratic senator in trouble once again, but refusing to step aside. Uh, Those numbers that she offered earlier uh, of of elected officials across the country and how many of those races go uncontested, uh, I want to interrogate that. Certainly, we must talk about gerrymandering, which I think is a great, one of the greatest threats to our very democracy. So a great deal more to cover when we come forward with our guest, the former EPA administrator and the former governor of New Jersey, Christine Todd Whitman, who you're listening to right now on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory, expand of, ideas? inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Christine Todd Whitman wears so many hats, uh, has worn so many hats. She is the co-founder and co-chair of the State's United Democracy Center. Um, She's one of the founders with Andrew Yang of the Forward Party. Uh, She's the former Republican governor of New Jersey, former EPA administrator during the George W. Bush administration, Uh, author, New York Times bestselling author. She's done a lot in her career, and I'm delighted to have her on this program in this first hour today. Um, Let me ask another, a couple quick questions about the Ford Party, then I want to move to Bob Menendez and some numbers and other things. Sure. Uh, And I'm grateful for your time. Uh, On on the Ford Party, what do do you hope, what do you think that this third party, this independent party can ultimately accomplish in the months and years to come? Well, because we're not, the, the way with third parties have been approached before, they tended to be around one person or around a particular idea. Mm-hmm. We're building from the ground up. We believe this has got to be pushed by the people. And that's why, for instance, the Forward Party doesn't have a platform that says where you stand has to stand on an issue like abortion or guns. What we say is we, we're a, we're a, we have a platform of, of policy priorities of principles. We're a party of principles, and it's up to the states to decide what are the issues that are most important to your state. And it's up to the candidates to say, what issues do you care about and what do your constituents care about? You're responsible to them, not to some party, major party in Washington telling you what to do. And that's where we are today. Uh, we are, we have these two major parties that constrain the, the elected representatives on what the issues they can take up, what they can say about them. And, Tavis, it's not the way we're supposed to work. So mm-hmm. we're to want to put power back in the hands of the people and make it so that no matter where you live, if you're a Democrat in a very Republican district or a Republican in a very Democratic district, it's still worth it to vote because your vote will count. We like things like open primaries, ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. things that will open it up, as well as you mentioned before. One of the things we were talking about is gerrymandering and how to how to what what we're going to do is pick three or four of the ways that states have gerrymandered that have um, have done redone their redistricting so that it's not gerrymandered for one party or the other. 
So mm. it really is reflective of the population. And put those out to the states and say, here are some things to look at. Here are some models. Because the redistricting is done at the state level. Yeah. And that's up to the states, which a lot of people don't know. Yeah. They think it's a federal thing, how you have to do it. D- does your involvement with the Ford Party mean that you have, uh, at the moment, renounced your GOP membership? Or, or, or if I can add to that, does it mean that for those who want to support the Ford Party, uh, they'd have to renounce their, their party affiliation? Well, where we are on the on the ballot as a recognized party in the state, mm-hmm. and we're working in California, we're not on your ballot yet uh, as a forward party. So you can be a forward Democrat, a forward Republican, and that's what I am because right. we we're not recognized here in New Jersey, and there are some not nutcase Republicans running here, <laughs> and I, I, I don't mind supporting them because I do think the two parties are still going to be extremely important, and mm-hmm. you know we need to get the right people into those offices. But where we have uh, where we have ballot recognition, we like forward party. I, when, when once we get it here in New Jersey, I will become a forward party member. There you go. Well, we heard it, well, I'm, this this program is uh, is uh, uh, produced live every day Forwardparty. from LA. For, uh, I was about to ask that. About to ask that. Forwardparty. dot com okay. is how you find out more about right. it. Uh, Forwardparty. dot com. But uh, we are heard across the country, so I'm sure there are others in other states uh, where. Ford Party uh, persons are on their ballots, if they're, even if they aren't here in California where I sit right now. But uh, again, the information uh, that you want to find is at forwardparty.com. Let me come back to gerrymandering since you just mentioned it a moment ago. You heard me say minutes ago that I regard gerrymandering. I believe that gerrymandering is one of the greatest threats to our democracy. And there are a few of those. Poverty is a threat to our democracy, and I've written about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but gerrymandering, to my mind, may be the greatest evil this democracy faces, in part because of what you laid out earlier, that these folk get into office, whatever their whatever their views, whatever their beliefs are, they are entrenched. Uh, they stay there forever. Uh, they are oftentimes uncontested. Uh, and so, to my mind, gerrymandering is a huge threat to the future of this democracy. Uh, your thoughts specifically on the issue of gerrymandering and the danger that it represents. Well, I agree with you 100%, Dallas, because mm-hmm. what gerrymandering does is it it de- develops a district that is written for and developed for one person, one party, mm-hmm. where you're Republican or Democrat, they're red or they're blue, they're very few purple. I mean, they're only about, oh gosh, they're only about 10 truly contested congressional seats around the country. Uh, I mean, it's appalling. Let me pause for a second. I, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to make sure the audience heard what you just said. Uh, we know from our civics classes there are 435 members of the House. There are 100 members of the Senate. And you just heard the governor say that there are really only about 10, one zero contested seats in the House. That is that is shameful, Governor Whitman. That's, that's shameful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's that 70% of yeah. the 500 thousand elective offices that are never filled. I mean, that are one party that you only have one choice. Mm-hmm. It's one party. I go to the ballot, you go to the ballot, and all you see is the one party candidate. And that's wrong. That's why Forward is so focused mm-hmm. on developing this at the local level, getting people, because they know, if you tell them, look, we're working to change Congress, they'll say, right, good luck with that. Right. That's been tried how many times. But if you say, your school board your library commission, your mayor, your council, your state legislator, your attorney general, your governor, those are the ones who are making the decisions that yeah. most immediately impact your, impact your life. Yeah. And we that's where we want to make a difference. And people recognize that and people come to it. They like the idea. Yeah. 
When when you hear the data that you've just shared uh, with this audience, um, one doesn't have to wonder or, or even ponder why um, we have gridlock in Washington. If you have that many people in Washington who all, who all have safe seats and only 10 of them are really contested, uh, that gives you a pretty good uh, idea about why we can't get anything done in D.C. Because these folk know that whatever they do, whatever they say, however they vote, they're not going to be pushed out. I mean, look, look exactly. at what look at what it's taking to get that guy. What's his name? George, the, the crazy guy out of New York. Um, oh, George Santos. George Santos. Look no, at look at all that it's taken. Exactly. <laughs> look at all that it's taken just to get him pushed out. Uh, and he's a joke yep. if ever there was one. So once mm-hmm. you once you get in there, it's hard to get you out. Um, somebody oh, once yeah. said, "There's a there's a there's a there's a there's a highway in, but a but a sidewalk out. You can get in there pretty easily, but it's hard <laughs> to get you out of there." Um, so I, I, I take your point, and that, that data sort of underscores that. Um, when we come forward, uh, I want to come to the point you just made a moment ago about the work that the Ford Party is doing, as I would put it, down ballot in these local elections. Um, uh, Tip O'Neill, former Speaker of the House, once famously said, as you know, that all politics are local. All politics are local, and he's, he was right about that. What's been fascinating for me is the way that Republicans have just outflanked and outmaneuvered Democrats on these down ballot races, they understand the importance of advancing their agenda by getting folk elected to school boards. I could just start with start and stop with that. We talk about banning books and all the nonsense we're talking about every day. It's because Republicans have outflanked, they've outmaneuvered, they've outstrategized Democrats. I'm, a, I'm unapologetically progressive, but I'll say it. Democrats got spanked on this issue because Republicans get the importance of these down ballot races in ways that Democrats don't. So Democrats win at the national level, but they get killed oftentimes at the local level. The Ford Party understands that. I want to interrogate that in a bit more when we come forward with Christine Todd Whitman on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Christine Todd Whitman, uh, why do you believe that Democrats uh, have been out-strategized, out-flanked, um, just out-maneuvered when it comes to these down-ballot races? Republicans have done an amazing job, I hate to say that, uh, on these school board races and other races. They're, they're killing Democrats. Yeah, no, they are. It beats me. I mean, you'd think that they they would figure this one out. It was their one of their leaders who pointed it out, as you as you uh, repeated earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't understand it. It, it started really with um, the, the taxes mm-hmm. when they started uh, organizing around that, mm-hmm. and then they just they just figured it out this is where the people well, it's where people care, and it's building it's building the farm team. Yeah. for the big one. And that's what they've been doing. They elect those people to, they go to school board and the next thing they're on the county commission, then they're on the, in the state legislature and then they go to Congress or they go to the, the other thing, they, they go to the courts mm. and they have got a lot of very conservative justices that are and judges who are being elected around the country, and that's going to be with us for a very long time. Yeah. What's your, what's your read? Uh, yours and uh, your read, my read, may not may not uh, merge on this. I don't know. I'm just going to ask, since you mentioned it, what, what's your read of the Supreme Court a- at the moment? Well, I've never known a court that was as activist as this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, courts, the Supreme Court usually waits for cases to get ripe and then 
get appealed up to them. Mm -hmm. This time, they're actively looking. They're reaching down and pulling out these cases that can allow them to really reverse longstanding laws Mm -hmm. and precedent. It's it's amazing, and it's very worrying. I think we have some people on the court who are not... uh, did not have the judicial temperament that they should. Mm-hmm. That was nicely put. <laughs> I have said repeatedly, uh, I often I, I love to remind this audience um, that the Supreme Court chooses the cases they want to hear. Uh, it's not it's not some lottery. Uh, it's not some. It is a lottery to, to some extent, but they get to choose the cases they want to hear. To your point, they reach down and find the stuff that they want to opine on. To make the statements that they want to make, they bring those cases up, and the rest, mm-hmm. as we say, is history. But it, it's I, I can't say it enough uh, to remind people that we're in this mess because they choose the stuff they want to hear to advance the agenda they want to advance. I digress on that. Let me ask you quickly uh, about Bob Menendez, I, I, and I'm I'm ambivalent about this. And let me tell me why very quickly. I'm ambivalent because I believe in fundamental fairness. I believe in due process. I believe in presumption of innocence with every fiber of my being, presumption of innocence, fundamental fairness and due process. And yet Bob Menendez can't keep himself out of trouble. So I don't know how to read this, Christine Todd Whitman. Well, unfortunately, and I agree with you 100 uh, percent, you can't say that one man should have one person should have the right of a fair trial. But another person you condemn immediately the minute a charge is brought, you assume that they're guilty. It's just that he's been around the track so long, mm-hmm. and there have been so many of these that you have to say where there's smoke like this, there's fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just been, there have been too many of them, too much, and they seem, I mean, please, you keep gold bars in your house because there might be, a, the <laughs> economy might crash or whatever the excuse was, you keep suitcases full of cash. I mean, that just is way beyond anything that... I think is easily explained away or credibly explained away. Yeah, it'd be laughable if it weren't so serious. If he wanted a United States senator exactly. from New Jersey <laughs> yeah. and a Democrat, uh, and Democrats hold a very slight majority, of course, in the Senate, uh, that's why you don't see Democrats uh, forcing him out. And this, I could have a conversation, and maybe I will at some point, about the way Republicans are treating George Santos, trying to expel him from the House, and the way the Democrats are just being really quiet about Bob Menendez in the Senate. Uh, there's a there's a there's a conversation there, perhaps somewhere down the road when we come forward. Our remaining moments with Christine Todd Whitman on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Bye, bye, Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Our remaining moments now with Christine Todd Whitman, former governor of New Jersey uh, and uh, co-founder and co-chair of the state's United Democracy Center, former EPA administrator, and uh, now one of the founders of the Forward Party. Uh, And uh, I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Let me close with this. You have many legacies, as I just mentioned a moment ago, uh, Christine Todd Whitman, but one of them um, is what you did with the pension fund. You've got a legacy in New Jersey regarding the pension funds. Uh, I'm curious as to your thought about what needs to happen as the 65-plus population continues to grow in this country. Well, first of all, that is an obligation, as I've said all along, that we have to our workers. If we're going to make any changes, it has to be made on people who are not part of the system yet. And we have to. you have to be real in your actuarial assumptions 
of what it's going to take because what's going to happen is like Social Security. Mm -hmm. I know people object the minute you say anything about changing Social Security, but I think if you told somebody who's 55 or 50 that they wouldn't get Social Security till they were 65, but you'd get it because it would be there, they'd welcome that. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have to go that far. You'd do 60, but so you wouldn't start taking it down before. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where we've got to be real. We're going to run out of money. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't – the pension funds also should be protected. They should not be spent on anything other than what, they're, what they were designed for, and that's for to provide service to those people who have worked hard in government, and that's what they've earned. Yeah. You have a legacy, as I said. You are, you are beloved in the state of New Jersey for what you did uh, on pension funds, if nothing else. Uh, and, you, and you covered a lot of ground, of course, as governor, but uh, they love you there for what you did on those pension funds and protecting uh, their legacies and their earnings uh, over the years of their life. So I uh, uh, just wanted to raise that right quick. I got 60 seconds to go. I'll well, give you the, you. I, yeah, you're welcome. I got 60 seconds to go. I'll give you the last word. You mentioned earlier, and you, were, you and I are, are simpatico on this, that our democracy is fragile. So let me ask you, given the fragility of our democracy, how you are sustaining your hope? I'm sustaining my hope because I get on programs like this where people like you are reaching a vast audience and telling them to care, educating them on what the issues are. And I have hope because of the young people that I work with, that I see, and people who are coming to Forward Party, and again, forwardparty.com or forwardpartycalifornia.com there or in your state. Um, it's it's those kinds of people that tell me there's hope. And the people who stood up in 2020 and protected the vote, even when their lives and their families were being threatened and they were being attacked in all sorts of ways. Mm. Governor Christine Todd Whitman, I uh, appreciate your work and witness down through the years. Uh, thank you for this conversation. Good to have you on. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Same to you, Tavis. Take care of yourself.